1: Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline for the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. And IMS, the radio network, up in the toilet over the weekend for that race after the 500, up in the toilet yesterday. In fact, Jake Query joins us. Um, is it cynical? to believe that it kind of feels like now with the way that sports wagering is just raging in most places in the United States now that it was going to be a matter of time before something like that hits the locker room of your favorite team?
0: No, I don't think it's cynical. I think it's realistic. And let me, let me say this, John, I I do think this is true. Um, Only because I I actually got tipped and I hate to say that because it sounds absurd, but kind of along the lines of the Andrew Luck snowboarding, you know, remember when you guys had that, right from like an Uber driver and then right. turned out it was true. So a buddy of mine who I know pretty well and certainly have no reason to believe he would ever be anything other than honest, sent me a thing today that was like, Hey, here's what I've heard reliably. And, this, and he gave me some pretty specific details. Didn't name the player, but I'm 99% certain it is a defensive player. And all I was told was a defensive player who had a great opportunity in front of him. Now that's all I know. Um, and, but once Darren Ravel sends it out, then you start thinking, okay, okay, you know, there's, and I had, I will say, I talked to a few other people who then told me, yes, this appears to be credible. This appears to be true. Now the thing to me that's interesting is, you know, the, the whole sports gambling thing, you know. Listen, I, I've I've known people who've been caught up in that as a player. I mean, I've known, and the the level of egregiousness of it, if that's a word, has varied over the years. I mean, it seems like now, you know, certainly from you know, in most states, sports gambling is legal, so it's a very gray area for certain. Um, you know, my understanding is players can use an app so long as they're not using it from within the confines of the building and on the sport that they play. It's, I mean, there's a lot of gray area to it. But you know, a lot of these, the amount of money that is exchanged in sponsorship and whatnot with the different apps, it, again, it becomes a gray area. But um, I, I do think that it is just based on the percentages and law of averages it would stand to reason that eventually this is going to be more and more common that you hear of players getting involved.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's the, the first thing that I thought when I heard that. And then, yeah, we're we're trying to, to figure it out, at least in our minds right now. And people are sending me uh, what they think and whatnot. I'm assuming that it'll come out. You think it'll be out here by the end of this show?
0: I, my understanding is that it was going to be released within 72 hours is what I was told. So 72 hours from when, I can't say, I I don't know that because I don't know when the Colts were officially notified. But my understanding was the Colts had to make a decision in terms of their action on it within 72 hours. I want to be very clear that I didn't get that from anybody within the Colts that, but, but what I heard kind of slowly is being proven to be credible. So if that's the case, then I would anticipate certainly probably by tomorrow's show, we're going to know, right?
1: Oh, I would assume so. Yeah, I, I would. I would think with the way things are active now that you probably will end up having a name by six and, o'clock. And stuff happens
0: so fast, so, right, John? Like, yeah. Like any more, you know. In the old days, you would get tipped on something and you try to do your due diligence, and then you know you got a day or two to, to nail everything down. And then today, and it's I, I and I want to make sure that people understand this. I know this is the case with you, and it is with me as well. You and I are old and tired, man. Like the chasing and breaking stories is the, is the young man's game, right? Like, I don't think that you and I are out to like be the big source of breaking news all the time, but we have a responsibility. If we're told of something to find out if it's, if there's merit to it, um, but but certainly in today's day, between the time that when something leaks and the time that we find out whether it's complete BS or verified is usually a very short amount of time. It doesn't take very long.
1: No, in in this case, it's it's not going to either. So, and, and you had you had mentioned it was it, it was a, an unnamed player, according to the person talking to you, that I, did you say bright future ahead of them? Is that what was said to you?
0: A good opportunity. Ahead good
1: opportunity. Of- I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: But he just gave me a name, and I have no idea how how verify, you know, how, how legit it is. So, um, if it's the name that I was given, then it's you know a player that that showed some promise, uh, and we'll see. Let's just put it that way. Gotcha. So I'm assuming. And I need to be that bad yeah. I just, you know, we got to be protected. Well, I mean, guys. well, I
1: mean, I'm not uh, going. I'm not going to go out here and stop flopping names around here on the air. So we're not yeah, doing I, that. that. But is, I mean, I, I mean, hard. I wouldn't do that for anybody. So much less, you know, people that uh, we cover on a daily basis. Here, that'd be unfair to uh, to those that had no involvement. But at the same time, you kind of start thinking about, all right, so whomever this is, further down the road um you're going to get something like we saw with Calvin Ridley I guess right some type of punishment for that level forthcoming yeah
0: you know he and I, again I don't know how they police it I have no idea what the parameters are or the guidelines are in terms of does it matter on how many you know whether it's your team or how much the amount is I I have no idea how that works nor would it be probably a good idea for for either one of us to try to figure that out right yeah
1: yeah it's um it's it just felt like a matter of time for everybody i think mean, everybody's team's gonna go through this because it's just it's too damn easy you know just too easy so and it's sometimes i guess you uh you, you think you can get by with it and you can't and it being that easy i think we all kind of knew jake it was a matter of time
0: no argument here No no disagreement i mean it's And, you know, it may be – we'll see if it's – you know, it may not be an isolated incident. It may – who knows? You know, I mean, there's just just no way to know, man. There's no way to know.
1: All right. So, once again, in case you're just joining the conversation we're having right here and you wonder, well, wait a minute, this is a little bit vague. We're not being vague purposely. We're being, I I guess, somewhat vague because we don't know. There have been various reports. This all began with a sports – Twitter handle called at sports handle. I'm assuming it deals with wagering and certainly got passed along to the action network. And that is Darren Ravel, where he works uh, exclusively with sports wagering and a lot of dumbassery on there too, but some sports wagering uh, he concentrates on there. Uh, and the story goes as follows. A Colts player investigated for gambling on games. And there's evidence. The player placed hundreds of wagers, including bets involving the Colts. The player is not considered a star, but the average fan has likely heard of him. So, that will lead to some guessing, and then probably an answer will come out here relatively soon, Jake, and I both agree with that. There we are. There we are.
0: Again, just to be clear, in no way, shape, or form is it my intention or yours, John, to be coy about a name, but out of respect to players and everything else, I don't think that responsibly it's worth saying any names until we have verified proof that that is the player involved. And I do not have verified proof of who the player is. Thus, it is not in our best interest to throw names out.
1: Nah. I would hope that nobody would do that in any market anywhere, to be honest with you. But – uh on the internet, that's not going to have. It doesn't mean that the on the internet. On internet, on Twitter, everybody's throwing everything around right now. But uh, I'm just going off of what you said because I hadn't. Uh, I, I I had obviously seen this story, but I have not heard it to the level in which you have just shared. So,
0: interesting stuff for certain, you know. And you know what? Now that I think about it, John, yeah, I think it is possible that by the time you're off the air, there will be a release. <laughs> I, I don't mean a player release. I mean a release meaning a statement.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the Colts will probably fast come to address this. Um, Let's see. This is from Joel A. Erickson, a Colts statement on the report of betting allegation against a player, quote, we are aware of the NFL's investigation. We will have no further comment at this time. So that was in the last 11 minutes, a statement from the Colts.
0: Can you say that one more time, John? I'm
1: sorry. Yeah, Uh, it was from Joel A. Erickson. And his Twitter account, a cold statement on the report of betting allegations against a player. We are aware of the NFL's investigation. We will have no further comment at this time.
0: That speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean that verifies that there's an investigation.
1: Well, right? I mean, yeah, I mean it's that's it's it's somebody's somebody's ass is going to be in a proverbial sling here relatively soon, is what that means.
0: But I mean, when you yeah. say we are aware of the investigation, that is verifying that in fact there's an investigation. Oh you yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Some somebody's in deep trouble here, relatively soon. So yes, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's what I don't that mean says. To laugh
0: at that, but yeah, that is a fair <laughs> summary. Yeah,
1: it, it is. Anyway, it's a Jay Query with us for the morning show, Kevin and Quer weekday mornings from seven until ten a.m. here on the Fan, Brashad Perryman. So they ended up inking the veteran wide receiver uh, that has has been a bust at that position. And people note me for always wanting to bring in wide receivers. And I note those that constantly use this cliche, kicking the tires, as this being, I think, the best example of what the Colts are doing with Perriman right now. Because this dude may not be anywhere near close to this roster in week number one, but they're Kicking the tires on a guy that had a great deal of talent that has since never lived up to it.
0: Yeah, listen, I don't have a problem with it, right? I mean, at this point, it's June, right? It's June, so you you, you see what's out there. You try to get yourself some depth. You know, they've had guys in this situation that was a you know that, that basically was a swing and a miss. Darius Hayward Bay comes to mind. They've had other guys. Who was the guy, John? I just completely spaced on his name. Late year sign. Played at Virginia and was a really good player like three or four years ago and had a, had a really good second half of the season for them. Um, ended up going to the Bears. Good Lord. It's going to drive me nuts. Played collegiately at Virginia. But anyway, I can't remember what it, who it was. But, but you know, the reality is at this point, what is there to lose really, right? I mean, they. they this is the thing about that situation. We sit there, and when I say we, I just mean Colts fans, Colts media, everything in general. We hem-haw and jump up and down about the fact that they never address the wide receiver position. Then they decide to go out and, and take a flyer and just give a once-over on a guy at a receiver position to see if maybe there's something there that they can get at the minimal cost. Okay, fine, right? So which is it? Are we going to be upset that they never address it, or are we going to nitpick which addresses they make? So I don't have a problem with it. It's June – you test it out. You see what's out there. You go through camp with it, and you find out whether or not you
1: know, the guy can play. Yeah. That's um, – and, yeah. Uh, again, you look at the, the past yeah. – Dontrell
0: Inman is who I was trying to think of, by the way. Dontrell don't Inman. Old. Don't get old, man. All of a sudden, stuff starts to escape you, especially like 12 hours after you woke up. But then again, do people realize that, that – you've Don, it, Dontrell like,
1: Inman like, 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 like saved that, that position season totally. a couple of years totally. ago, whatever it was.
0: Are you like? Are you a farmer? Because you're up at like five a.m. Like I, I am. wake up at six, and it's like missed call. I'm like, man, like <laughs> I'm impressed. Like, do you get up and bale hay? Like, what are you doing at five a.m.?
1: I am uh, up early often, and
0: you watch it one day at a time. On I TV will again?
1: because I was in love with Valerie Bertinelli. Like a lot yeah. of other dudes our age was in love with her. So yeah, not so much Mackenzie Phillips, but. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Valerie Bertinelli, yes, in love with so, yeah, yeah, I am I am up pretty early. So man, you know, oftentimes kids, especially this time of year, they got basketball camp or something going on. We gotta climb out of bed really early and get them someplace early. So have you yeah. ever had Valerie Bertinelli on your show? I have not, I've tried a number of times I mean, though. That, I reach out all the time to Wolfie's natural, mom. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: come on. And like I mean, just the fact like I would love to know. And I don't know. Somebody probably knows the answer to this. Because one day at a time was fictionally set in Indianapolis. Like, did they ever do a press junket where they like brought them to Indianapolis? You, you know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't know if they ever referenced anything Bonnie here locally.
0: Franklin. Wasn't Bonnie Franklin the mom?
1: Yeah, Bonnie Franklin was the mom. I don't think they ever referenced anything locally. I mean, as Correct. far as the they school was concerned or anything. Opening, and I, I will, I'll give you a great interview. example of that. Right. So the first year of Saved by the Bell, uh, with Miss Bliss. It was based in Indiana and there was one reference in an episode where it was. I know what it was. Yeah, they talked about going to the iu Michigan
2: game.
0: They also referenced so there's two then, because there was one where I think Screech was the only character from Good Morning Miss Bliss that carried over to Bayside. I could be wrong in that. But there was one episode where he was like trying to impress a girl and Miss Bliss said you would trampoline on the Hoosier Dome if you thought it could get you that yeah, girl.
1: That's a good reference right there. Yeah, I just had yeah. IU, because Miss Bliss and a, a fellow teacher were going to go watch IU. This would have been, I think, 1989. They are going to go watch IU in Michigan. So, I thought that would have been the IU-Michigan game of Jay Edwards hitting good that shot. last second three. Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah. that was the. I remember that game, Jay Edwards hit that <laughs> shot, and the crowd goes bonkers for like, What seemed like ten minutes, yeah, and we're walking down the ramp. Finally, like once, like you know, order was restored inside Assembly Hall. We're walking down the ramp, like fifteen minutes after the game, and all of a sudden, on the PA, you hear three point basket, three points, number three, Jay Edwards, and I'm like Chuck Crab, man, that dude like knew to wait till the crowd was finally quieted down so that they could hear he could you know all of his announcements. Just the best.
1: Do you think that that would have been? As close as Derek White's put back in game number six of the East Finals? Because that was point one. That was about as close to, without the technology then, if you remember, about as close to well, being point one or, or in that particular neighborhood as anything could be.
0: I don't think there's any doubt, and I remember this being the big deal back then, Keith Jackson and Dick Vitale replaying it like five times and saying, listen for the horn because in college basketball you go by the horn and right. not the clock. And, I mean, that ball was – you could have split a credit card between his fingertip and the ball when yep. the horn went off. He got it off, but it was – it wasn't one, John. It was like .0000009. That's I, I, <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, because
1: really the Derek White put back I think was the closest – um that i have seen that's the closest i have seen and i often wonder if that jay edwards shot against michigan would have been as close if the technology did exist i've always wondered
0: too that shot to me was such an icon i mean i I realize the watch shot is is today's version of that it felt like that was such a massive deal And, and i've always wondered if that's just because the sports landscape has changed or because i was 16 at the time i mean i remember driving back up 37 and people were out on the side of the road in martinsville with banners like cheering for iu because they had just beaten michigan i mean it was that big it just felt like the epicenter of the sports world was centered around iu basketball
1: well i mean and we're everybody we're in a world of salty now about everything and especially sports, it's just different. It wasn't the, the window to the world was not as clear then as it is now. So I just, I, I don't know. It just was probably more meaningful back then than it would be now. And if that pisses off the younger generation, then so be it. But that's just the way that it is because we didn't have, all of these these so-called assets of information at our disposal back then. And you were just kind of yeah. – it's like the legend of the Concord flying in here with Nigel Mansell when everybody stopped on 465 to watch it land. I mean, those those are real stories that I don't know how much that would happen today. Of course, everybody would get arrested probably, but I don't know how much that would have, have happened I mean, today as it did then.
0: John, do you remember – I mean – People, younger people probably are going to think that I'm making this up, but how about when the Pacers beat the Knicks in 95, like this week, I think of 95 and eliminated them from the second round of the playoffs. And like 5,000 people went to the airport to greet them. I got a ticket for parking on the exit ramp of 465 along with like 200 other people. And we ran across the runways to go to the international hangar to greet them when they came back. And like, that's, The Colts beat the Dolphins on a Steve Entman interception return and like 250 people go to the airport to like greet them as they come off the airplane. I mean, just crazy times, man. Just a different world. Totally different world. I
1: remember that game you're talking about with with, with Reggie and Reggie was made a live call in, I think, to Bob and Tom. Either after that game, it was before they were they were going to the airport or coming from the airport or something. It was one of the more entertaining calls I've ever heard. I mean – So I, I, I can't remember exactly what the day was, but it seems like it's kind of similar to, to what you're talking about. Because there was – I mean, there was just – that was like the first time That anybody had ever experienced it. Like the Colts, it was like the Colts in 95. Nobody really knew what it meant to be a good football team, to be a good playoff football team, to have that success, you know, until the postseason of 95. That was the Colts fans' intro here, much like the whole Pacers and Knicks stuff was the intro to Pacer fans, many Pacer (laughs) fans that didn't go all the way back to the ABA success days.
0: They had a rally at City Market for the Pacers for getting to the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: Yeah.
0: You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yep. like let's have a parade. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like the old signs in every window downtown, man magical thing. You and I talk about this like
1: every third time I call in. I love that, though. Nothing wrong with that. Jake Jake Quarry's with us. I did hear you bring up something this morning. Jake Quarry, the morning show, Kevin and Quarry, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. And of course, again, before I ask Jake this question, I want him to elaborate. Uh, The Colts have a player being investigated for placing wagers. Uh, The Colts' response to that story that Jake and I talked about at the top of the hour, the Colts' quote is we are aware of the NFL investigation and we will have no further comment at this time end quote we'll get back to that in a second but you brought up the diamond chain factory and where the indy 11 and that whole complex is going to be undergoing a major financial and then some facelift and you kind of made it sound like poltergeist there what the hell's going on
0: well, so the Diamond Chain factory, which, by the way, Arthur Newby, who was one of the founding fathers of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, was the founder or one of the principal owners of Diamond Chain, which at one time was making like 70% of the bicycle chains for around the world. And that property, I believe, was be, they began developing it in like eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. And what I think a lot of people realize or don't realize, I should say, is when Diamond Chain bought that property – the land which had been vacated was the original Green Lawn Cemetery. And the Green Lawn Cemetery in Indianapolis was the original public cemetery of Indianapolis. So it held the graves of little over a thousand like pioneer graves, several Confederate soldiers, several Union soldiers, as well as I hate to say this, the indigent of Indianapolis that were in unmarked graves. At the time that Diamond Chain bought and and cultivated the land, for lack of a better phrase, to put up their factory, they exhumed and removed like 700 soldier graves to Crown Hill Cemetery and then several mass common graves. But they would continue to find bones and remains in the area up until even, I think, when they were doing renovations or different things with the property itself. And I think, I I don't know this for a fact, but it's my assumption or understanding that When you find human remains, you know, you don't just all of a sudden, like, call the historical society and go back to digging. I mean, there's a pretty detailed process there. And, you know, my understanding is, based on the number of graves that were in the original Green Lawn and based on the number of graves that have been exhumed and or made counted for, there are some that believe there would still be mass numbers that are in that property itself. And that they once they tear down that building, and then begin clearing it out. Even well, I guess the building's pretty pretty much gone. But once they start tearing up that property, I, I just think it's a slippery slope. I mean, it's a whole different talk show to get into, and I think most. So people, I, I, I just,
1: and, and, I, I just, I found it interesting um, because it when I, I thought so, of poltergeist immediately.
0: I mean, to, honestly, yeah. and, and and I think that some of it, I believe that some of the graves maybe were were Native American. Origin as well, and just again, when you say public cemetery of that era, basically what that means is for a large part the pauper cemetery, which means a lot of them were probably unmarked. The the same holds true just outside of Central State Hospital. There are large amounts of mass graves there from people that were turned over essentially to the state for mental health that that were surrendered by their families and then just were buried. In the areas that are now the horse stables for IMPD, I mean, there's a lot that goes. There's a lot of stuff that goes into all of that. But, but again, I, to me, it would not surprise me if that creates some occasional obstacles or stall within the development.
1: That's that. I don't know that. But well, I'd that heard that, and and I did not know that story. So I was yeah. I was kind of interested in hearing hearing that story of the past right there from this morning. So.
0: Yeah, I won't get into the whole the cost of it and everything else. I have nothing against the Indy 11. I, I want people to be very understanding of that. I have no problem with the Indy 11. I hope that they, uh, you know, I mean, hell, I was a season ticket holder for the Indy 11. I, I, I like the people over there. I went to, I know a lot of people there. I have nothing against the Indy 11. I, I do have reservation about the amount of tax dollars that may be spent for a stadium when we already publicly subsidized a $720 million stadium that was at the time, Sold to us as taxpayers as multi-purpose. End of rant. (laughs) (laughs) I promise. I don't want to hijack
1: your show. Oh, that's okay. Somebody told me that Victory Field is on part of that cemetery.
0: No, it wasn't Victory Field. It was the original, well, oh, Victory Field. Yeah. Yeah. No, so that would be the northern boundary of it. But I think probably what they're thinking of is the Indianapolis Hoosiers, which played from 1914 to, I believe, 1918, played in a stadium that was on the property. So there was a baseball stadium on the property um, that was there as part of the old uh, Federal League. So I believe it was called Federal Stadium. The The Indianapolis Hoosiers were the baseball team that played in the Federal League in the second decade of the 20th century, and that stadium was absolutely on the property that is that is what we're talking about.
1: Now, clearly, the only reason I brought this up is to reference Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Well,
0: you, you know that at the beginning of every game when the team comes out, they're actually going to say, they're here.
1: <laughs> yeah. so they're Poltergeist. To I loved it when Craig T. Nelson and uh, the chick were in bed lighting up a doobie. When things started to go haywire around him, isn't that isn't that the opening scene of every 80s horror movie? <laughs> That's great, Johnny Poltergeist around <laughs> Poltergeist. Anyway, all right, uh, what you guys got going on tomorrow morning? You know,
0: well, this will obviously be a huge topic tomorrow. This cold story because yes. I think you're right. I think it's going to grow legs between now and then. So we'll we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to take a look at the Pacers draft as well. And then Stephen Wilson, actually right now, I'm actually in Dryer and Reinbold because um, Shannon ran over a tire, so I'm getting that fixed. And speaking of Dryer and Reinbold racing, Stephen Wilson, who of course was involved in his accident that knocked him out of the Indy 500, Ray Hall sat in. Stephen Wilson said, you know what, I've got a message. I want to talk to the fans. I want to be able to speak to them. Can I come on your show? And I said, absolutely. So he's cool. going to do that at 9 o'clock tomorrow.
1: That is really cool. Shout out to Stephen Wilson. That is a good dude right there. Great dude. Great dude! All right, well, have fun with this story. So, um, are we allowed to wager on when the story is going to be? When I we find out the wagering. name, is that? I don't know that wagering on a is, story about illegal wages is that not cool? <laughs> Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> we are aware. We are aware of John and Jake's wager, and we'll have no further. Oh my about. goodness!
1: I don't know. Trying to to be as delicate as possible, and then. Still have some fun said, with it.
0: The so. only thing that I that I was told was a defensive player with a lot of who with a great opportunity in front of them. That's all
1: I was told. All right, defensive player with a great opportunity in front of them. That eliminates how and many of the defensive players? I'm sorry, yeah. I'm just jokes. See, I'm, I shouldn't even say that. Why are we even going here? I should have gone to a break like three minutes ago. I'm going to just right. get us all in trouble. My Play bad. Us both. All right, man. We'll be listening 7 a.m. tomorrow morning.
3: Jamming out to something new and everything in between. Andy
1: Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Well, clearly I can't go my usual. She just said, Trace, 75 minutes yeah, with yeah. you Good right time. here. Good Good I'm going to get you in and out <laughs> on the Andy Moore <laughs> Automotive Group Hotline. It's Trace Jackson Davis who joins us. How you doing, big fella?
2: man I'm doing well Doing uh, well.
1: I want to talk about the process today with the Pacers and this workout in a moment but overall from start to finish to this point not finish but to this point how have, has this been for you
2: um, it's been great it's been a great experience I've had five workouts so far um, all this week so I'm a little tired by the end of the day you're in your hometown um, suiting up for the Pacers so uh, you got a little extra juice in the tank but um, overall I thought it's been a great process and I thought today went really well how
1: much went into preparation, not physically, but mentally, for what you're doing with me right now, for what I'm sure you did with the mass media that was out there to watch you? <laughs> you know, Trace, being in your hometown, you know, people on this state love you. You got to prepare for that as well mentally. How much of that went into the overall preparation for what you're going through now?
2: Um, it, it takes a lot of preparation, but I think um, just being at IU, Um, Having Coach Woody um, kind of getting prepared for these moments, even the media down there is kind of hectic, and so um, I felt like I was ready. um, Obviously, being here in Indy, being able to work out 30 minutes away from my house, um, it's a blessing. and um, I'm ready to deal with all the things that come with it, but overall, um, I thought I had a great day, and I thought it was a a great time here.
1: He's uh, Trace Jackson Davis, the former Hoosier, the former Mr. Basketball, the former Center Grove Trojan with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, How'd you do today? What was your feeling when you got finished up with that workout, Trace?
2: Uh, I felt really good, honestly. Um, I shot the ball well from the perimeter. I had a lot of good drives, so I won a few drills one-on-one. And um, I felt like I played smart and good basketball. as a good teammate. Um, Those are all the intangibles. Um, So I felt like that was probably one of my best workouts. I put it up there with uh, Golden State and Sacramento. were two other ones that I did really well in. And So um, I felt like overall, though, it was a great day, and I can't wait to hear the feedback from what the team says.
1: Um, um, how much feedback have you you mentioned this is what number five is that what you said trace so far mm-hmm. um what, what kind of feedback have you received from the other workouts with the other teams to this point
2: um it's been mixed i've had a uh, really good feedback from teams and um i've had some feedback of stuff i need to work on so um there are uh, little things on both ends of the floor um it just kind of depends on what what kind of workout I have, because a lot of teams haven't seen me shoot the ball. So if I shoot the ball well in a workout, then they're like, okay, you can do these things. Obviously, they've already watched my tape from IU, so they know I can do other things. So, And then the other ones that I don't shoot that well, um, they're like, you need to work on these things. So it's just continue to get repetition and stuff of that nature but overall it's been a solid process
1: you kind of know when you're going through or did you know when you're going through kind of maybe a
2: maybe a i don't know how to explain it
1: um a moment in a workout in which yeah maybe your shot's not falling something like that um does that kind of bounce around in your head or is that something you move on from during that workout as quickly as possible
2: yeah, so actually my last workout, I didn't shoot the ball very well, and you kind of get down on yourself, but at the same time, you got to brush it off and get ready for the next one, kind of like a game. You can't harp on it too much, and then if you have the right mindset, then um, good things are going to happen, and that's what happened today. I came in here and had a really, really good workout.
1: He is Trey Jackson Davis with us. The reason why I ask that is because I, I always compliment you before anything else on your maturation. I mean, it's just been amazing mm-hmm. to watch you grow over these years, and that would to me assume to be part of it how much have you grown with that in mind you know hearing the constructive criticism about your game that really (laughs) matters to you and moving on and making yourself better how much of that growth have you experienced over the past let's just say four years
2: Uh, It's been a lot. Uh, A lot of people criticize my game, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do what my coach wants me to do, and um, I'm going to do it at the highest level possible. So I don't really care what people have to say because I know me. I know the people in my corner got me, and I know um, the people, whether it be my coaches or the people that want to see me succeed they know what I got to do to do that they got to tell me the right things I'm going to do them to the best of my abilities. You
1: are so prepared for the next level you know that I mean with all this in mind some people are going through stuff right now or that will go through some stuff right uh, and, and <laughs> hear about their games in the future that never have received that type of criticism before man you're, you're <laughs> ready made already off the floor is that is that a feeling for you right now with that growth in mind that maturation that you're good for that next level with what you've gone through already?
2: No, absolutely. I feel like I'm really prepared for it. obviously being at Indiana. Uh, There's a lot of criticism that goes with it. Not bad, but it's just a part of the game. They love their college basketball and um, so it's just something that you have to deal with but I think that uh, Indiana University has prepared me very well for this moment and I'm ready to make the best of it.
1: He is Trace Jackson Davis with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline you hear all this about well this is what they say about your game people are telling you about your game you tell us because I don't know if we've ever flipped a script on you like this you tell me the good and the bad or us the good and the bad so far and things that you know deep down inside you got to work on but you know you're going to get better at as we move along what are those things
2: um, I just feel like um, just overall perfecting my all-around game. Obviously, the shooting comes into that point, but at the end of the day, I've done so many good things on the floor and uh, I've caused a double team at almost every possession in college basketball, and so a lot of people don't understand how well I can do in one-on-one situations, that's going to happen a lot in the NBA. Obviously, I need to work on my pick and pops, um, but it's something that I just got to get confidence in in repetition. I don't have a bad shot. I've got a good base. I just got to get confidence to knock the shots down. And So those are all the things that come with repetition. I feel like whatever team I go to, I'm going to be able to do that, and their, their coaching staffs are going to work well with me. Um, and then overall, I feel like I'm a very high IQ basketball player. I'll make the right plays and I'm a good teammate, and so those are all good things that an organization will get from me.
1: Well, you're absolutely right on that, too. And Here's what I think of all the time. And Part of your growth at IU was passing the basketball. Absolutely. And that's something, Trace, Trace, more and more, everybody, that is, that is such a big deal. You know, so many of us say, alright, it's either a make or miss league or whatever, but getting the yeah. ball to the open you know, realizing you know where where the defense is is leaning and getting the ball to that open person for that open shot or the better shot that is so crucial to where you want to go right now at this NBA game. Has that been recognized your passing ability so far?
2: I think so. Um, I'm a very unselfish player, but um, that's just part of the game. And I think content growing especially next level with all the high level guys that you play with and so just being a smart and high IQ basketball player making the right plays it's going to benefit a lot of guys from good looks
1: so did you stay at home last night and just like drive down here this this morning this (laughs) afternoon how this work
2: no I was I was actually I, I got home on Friday Friday night really late and then I came home I stayed in the hotel and then came home Saturday morning, spent some time with my family, friends and girlfriend. And then Sunday, kind of the same until later at night, came back to the hotel. And then now I'm here. I saw Ray on Thursday too, and um,
1: I, uh, I he's he's such a, a calming influence for everybody. Oh, him. he is. That, he's, you got worried sh- at all? No, you know you you he's need got the confidence. You, <laughs> yeah, he does have that. There's no doubt. You need a shot of Ray. I thought I think that's good for you before this workout because really this is weird compared to the other ones so far. You come here and you have this throng of media that you like <laughs> me are waiting to talk to you. Man, he's a good prep. I think before you come down. No. To to yeah. do this workout today. Absolutely, yeah. Ian. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis is with us. All right, where are you going next?
2: I go to Boston next, and then I got Boston, Brooklyn, Charlotte. So those are my next three in the next four or five days.
1: Hey, We're really excited for you. I'm going to go ahead and let you run right here. But uh, you get back, certainly once we find out where you're going, uh, we'll get you back on here. But uh, safe travels for you. Keep on keeping on as usual. We love having you on the show, Trace. Well done.
2: So I appreciate
1: you guys. You got it. Trace Jackson Davis with us on the Andy
3: Moore Automotive Group hotline. Just an outstanding dude. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Incredibly happy. Incredibly proud of our next guest's program and what they have accomplished so far, which is still ongoing. The head coach of Indiana State, that baseball program going to the Super Regional. After disposing of Iowa yesterday in that finale over in Terre Haute, Mitch Hannes, the head coach of the Sycamores, joins us now. Hey, Mitch, thank you for the time. How are you?
4: Hey, I'm doing well, JMV. Glad to be on here, buddy. What
1: a weekend in paradise, my friend. Well done. Well done.
4: Unbelievable. The support, it was unbelievable. Um, not just having fans there, but, man, they were they were into it, and they were a factor.
1: I... um. I saw that, and I wondered if at the time when I when I saw their reactions, and you're right, they were a huge factor, especially considering, you know, these come from behind wins that you guys have now grown accustomed to being a part of. Did you expect that type of response, that reaction,
4: that level of support? Was it even beyond what you had thought it was going to be? It was it, it was way beyond what I anticipated. I, I thought we would have some good crowds. And, and you know, when you haven't had a lot of people out, you don't know how they're going to react, if they're going to be into the game, if they understand the game, you know, from a, a standpoint of really being into the different parts of the game. And they they were unbelievable. Iowa brought in a freshman pitcher that was struggling in the strike zone, and they were ball two, ball three, ball f- I mean, they were into every pitch. It was just – it was unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I um, You could feel it. I mean, you can honestly feel it, and that is, that is such a big deal. I, I guess I'll have to ask you this, considering you know who you're going to end up getting and the Super Regional is still up in the air, yet to be determined, Arkansas or TCU. If TCU wins, will you guys host the Super Regional in Terre Haute?
4: Uh, no, the way I understand it, it's in the committee's hands, and, I, and I'm not sure that our facility has been deemed uh, big enough for a Super. So I still think there are some decisions to be made on that point.
1: So even if you are the, would you guys end up going, for example, to to Dallas, to TCU?
4: I guess there's a possibility we would we would go to them, who who may be the hottest team in college baseball right now. Wow.
1: Well, and and I think as of right now, I think the update is TCU is five four in the sixth over Arkansas that has to be disappointing. (laughs) I mean, mean, there's not much to be disappointed about, but that would have to be a little bit disappointing. Is it?
4: Well, at this point of the season, you know, you prep everything that we do is based on knowing that we got to go into somebody else's park and beat them. If we want to get to Omaha, typically it's a regional. We were just fortunate to have a regional at home. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, it is what it is. And, and, you know, it's, at this point of the season, I think it certainly helps having a home crowd. But I think whoever plays the best is going to win. It really doesn't matter where you're at. I guess the only advantage is getting to—if it goes to three games—is getting to be the home team twice. So,
1: help me out here, then we'll move on. Who the, this, this committee? The committee decides this. What are the guidelines? What are the parameters of it that, that go into this decision?
4: That I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure about any of the specifics. I know X number of seats, and and all of those things come into play. Uh, we 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 made the regional by the skin of our teeth. We might even have been a, a fraction short in terms of the seating capacity that we needed to have. Mm. Uh, but they still awarded us the regional.
1: Okay. All right. So I guess um, guess we'll wait and see on this. <laughs> A little yeah, bit. I, I, I was I was so proud and I mentioned this and again Mitch Hannis, the head coach of Indiana State, joins us. Um certainly proud of, of you and your team and and the effort and you know the late game at times heroics that we saw, but you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Just I was, I was proud of Terre Haute. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Terre Haute being there. I love my time being there. I'd go back in a second. And it always kind of seems like that, that Terre Haute and the folks in and around Terre Haute and, and Vigo County, you're, you're kind of fighting a little bit uphill at times for positive, for solid notoriety. And I, I thought this weekend spoke volumes of that alone. And I think it made it more special, at least to me, the fan.
4: Well, it, it, same to me. I, I feel like we're unfairly criticized, and, and it's one of those things. If you haven't spent time here, and obviously people make a place, and I, I'm telling you, the people around here have been unbelievable. Um, to me, my family, our team, it's it's been very gratifying um, to see. Um, I hope we keep winning. I keep ending up with liquor on my doorstep, so it's going to be wrong. <laughs>
1: well... <laughs>
4: with that in mind that's great right there
1: Like you just walk out it's like uh what the milkman used to do back in the 1950s yeah. you just walk out
4: there yeah. and there's a bottle of liquor on your doorstep No, no 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 nothing but it, it, they keep showing up so i'm sure not complaining no
1: no there's no complaining over there whatsoever mitch Han is the head coach of indiana state he's on the Andy Moore automotive group Potline. we we talked about this last week with evansville you know they had to win two on you guys in that mo valley championship final, they won the first one, and we thought that that rattled the cage a little bit, and then you know, your team left no doubt after that, and we wondered if that was going to help this team moving forward. Do you think that that type of game had any effect on how your team played in late-game situations over the weekend in Terre Haute?
4: Absolutely. It it was a, I I think it was something that, uh, like we talked, we absolutely needed to have our cage rattled, and I think it, it, when it happened, uh, we were a little unsettled. But I think as we went through those games, obviously the pitcher from Wright State was 10 or 11-1 and one for a reason. He was really, really good, and we just had to hang in the game and, and beat their bullpen. And the Brett kid from Iowa was up to 101 in the game against us, going to be a first-round pick next year. Um, it was just unbelievable. And, and the only thing we could do was try to try to stay close and get him out of the game with his pitch count and, and that's basically what happened. Once we got him out, we, we were able to beat their bullpen. But we faced two really good starters. And had we not gone through that last weekend where you're sitting there digging uphill the entire time, uh, you, you may fold the tent. Who knows? But you certainly overcoming some adversity last weekend helped us overcome it this past weekend.
1: Yeah. I, you know what? And that's, that's, again, what we talked about. And seems like your your team, they look, Mitch, comfortable. In those late moments, too. I mean, it's, it's one thing to perform, but to look comfortable in performing in those late moments—that's that, even more so. I think how your team is built.
4: Yeah, and it's—they have been very comfortable. It's really hard for me to look comfortable in those situations. <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah, bet. Yeah, uh, but they—they uh, they have been. And you know, the bottom line, and we started this track a long time ago. If somebody beats our rear end, it won't be the first time. It, it, when you fear losing, is when you get in trouble in this business, and. I think that's the best thing about this group. They, they don't fear losing. They know if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You go back to work and try to get better and fix some of the things that cost you the game. And, and I think that's how these guys are built.
1: I had talked about this, Mitch, on on Friday. I was doing a live show on the road as you guys were playing Wright State, and I, I consider myself at times being somewhat of a jinx, um, and I'm very superstitious. I think I've shared that with you before. I I kind of wondered as that game was going on in the, the early to, to mid-game stages, innings-wise, was your team – I kind of wondered if maybe – they had read some of the negative about them and maybe that kind of took an early toll to them and then they, they kind of woke up or was it more just kind of the pitcher that you had to get past in that verse game? How'd that go?
4: No, I think it was a little bit of both. I think that's a really good point. I, I think that obviously gungora the pitcher from Wright State, was really good, like a 6'6 lefty with a good arm. And And then I think the other thing was, you know, you can't hide from that publicity anymore. Everybody reads it, everybody sees it, it's out there. And so I think you want to almost do too well. You you try to do too much then and trying to prove yourself. And I felt there was a little bit of that going on. Um, We definitely had to to calm down a couple of times.
1: A friend of mine said that uh, his son played with Keegan Watson at uh, New Pal and remarked about how how good, how clutch he was there. And uh, he gave you yet another taste of that over the weekend too, didn't he?
4: That seventh inning three-run homer, was it it ended up being the difference. It was a huge at-bat. And he's done that for us all year. He's had a lot of clutch hits. Uh, Been a really, really solid player in our program.
1: So Mitch Hannes, the head coach of Indiana State, is with us. So what are you going to do? Have you thought about um, the starter? Do you know where you're going as far as this super regional game one is concerned, whomever it might be against?
4: I've was. i I've been kicking that back and forth here as I've been watching uh, both these clubs the last couple of hours. Um, not ready yet to say how we're going to line up. Um, obviously, obviously, game one is important, but it's not do or die. I know if you look at what some of the clubs have done when people have a really good number one starter that they throw, they kind of throw off and, and try to win uh, games two and three. Which again is not the best for your heart ticker by any means, right? But sometimes a a a very good strategy. Um, You just hate to waste a really good arm. If you're, we did it against Iowa, but we were in game two. Um, We kind of set it up so we would have Finlong in that second game uh, because we we figured that would be Brecht. Um, So it's going to be matchups and looking at how someone else is going to line their pitching. And hopefully we have a chance to make our decision after they've, they've put their rotation out.
1: Yeah, Mitch, a live look, by the way. TCU 7-4 over the 3 seed Arkansas right now. Top of the eighth inning um, as they go right there. And that would uh, that'd be your matchup. Man, that would be disappointing. I, I know you're not concentrating on that right now. Um I guess it'd be disappointing to me because I was going to go if it would going to go be over there. Um, but yeah, that's that's tough if you guys have to go on the road for one that you should be hosting. That'll bum me out a little bit. Now the whole thing is great, but that that portion of it will be a bit of a bummer. I can't lie.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's that may be a tough one. But the bottom line is, we got to figure out. Yeah. Uh, be if it's TCU, we've got to figure out how to win two games.
1: Yeah, a little bit about TCU for those out there that don't know too much about that team. You mentioned how hot they are, arguably the hottest going on right now, uh, still playing baseball. What stands out and what has stood out about them against a team in Arkansas that's really good and it has been all Horn Frogs so far?
4: Yeah, it's really uh, – the tough part for me is trying to get a feel of Arkansas. Um, we played Missouri State late in a three-game series – at Missouri State, and after we played Keith Gutton, a longtime head coach there at Missouri State, uh, told me that he felt like our club was better than Arkansas, who they just played a couple of weeks prior. Um, so I'm trying to get a gauge of how good Arkansas is, you know, in, in terms of watching and the way they're playing. But uh, TCU, the last week and a half, whatever it was, I, I I believe they went through the Big 12 conference tournament and they had one game that was – under eight runs, maybe eight or ten runs, and then they opened up with two shellackings in the uh, regional. Yeah, so they are scoring a ton of runs, and why so I was paying close attention to see if they were relaying signs or anything was going on. Usually, when you're scoring that many runs against good pitching, um, they may have something.
1: Yeah, so you so, c- you couldn't tell whether or not that that they knew what was coming.
4: I I couldn't. I couldn't, and I probably wouldn't tell you right here, right now, if I did. That's I feel cool. like they had something, but uh, I, obviously, you got to really pay attention when teams are scoring a bulk of runs. When you when you give up twenty, and you've got first and second rounders on the mound, that's that's usually a sign that something's not adding up. How
1: difficult is it, or or maybe even so? How often do you find in you know a, a weekend series, and a re, can these teams pick up the signs or Pitches being tipped as quickly as this—it's
4: unbelievable. You know, we we just playing Iowa. Iowa has a team of twenty analytical people who scour over the videos um, to see if they can find anything. You know, if it's a some, if your pitcher maybe is tipping something the way he hold his, holds his glove, maybe he's taking a grip in, maybe. So these these guys that sit in a room and watch video after video after video. They're working really hard to steal your offensive signs, your 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 pitcher's pitches. I mean, they may even get them from the catcher. The way he sets up, is he a little wider on off speed? Just all of that stuff. It's just, it's amazing how much you have to prepare um, to play the game of poker, so to say, on the field. Because if you're giving anything away, teams have just too much going on within their scouting right now that they're going to pick up. No, we don't have that. At ISU I can't tell you we have an analytical department or a, uh, a video department anything like that. It's basically you know our four coaches going through the stuff but uh, yeah it's 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 really a, a thing right now in college baseball. Uh,
1: now how often do you recognize your team? Kind of you know, losing that that focus with the signals, or pitchers tipping their pitches, or the catcher not you're setting up the same way every time to kind of give that away. How often do you notice that with your group?
4: We we still have it. I mean we we watch it all fall, and we have other pitchers watching pitchers, and we and and you know when you're in a fall or you're in a game that's going pretty well, you you can multitask and kind of take care of that. What happens when guys get in trouble? They they revert back. When, they're, when their brain is basically flatlining up there and they're just kind of trying to survive because they've gotten punched, you really don't think about all that other stuff. You're in fight mode, and and uh, sometimes the the brain shuts down a little bit and it's grab it and throw it and grab it and throw it. And that's when you get into habits and tendencies that other people pick up on.
1: You know, it's funny you bring that up. A friend of mine is Drew Storin, who is a former major leaguer, uh, and this is when he had his stint with the Nationals, his dad was uh, you know, a, a guy that I worked with, Mark Patrick, who's you know, phenomenal in in broadcasting basically nationwide, but certainly here in the state of Indiana. Um, watched every single game Drew was playing in um, and watched it from a room alone. And Drew told me this story once upon a time that his dad was the one that realized he was tipping his pitchers to the opposition. Nobody with the Nationals did. Nobody in their analytics department did. None of the coaches did. But his dad noticed yeah. what he was was doing. So it, it it's amazing how that can happen. And you know what, Mitch? It's it's an amazing advantage you get when you even somewhat know or believe that easier you can guess right what is coming. How much again of an advantage that is?
4: Yeah. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. And you know, it's it's interesting. You bring up a parent. You know, I say to our players all the time, your parents have watched every move you've made for your, your entire life. Yeah. They probably know when something's out of whack with your swing just as quickly as we do or with your pitching mechanics or with anything else. I mean, if if they have a background or they understand the mechanics, it can be very helpful, um,
1: 100%. um uh, incredible. Are you having more fun right now than you did as the president of Lincoln Trail? <laughs>
4: <laughs> um I'm having a lot more fun, yeah, yeah i I don't know that I would wish that upon anybody
1: Oh, wait a minute. you didn't have a good time down in Robinson, Illinois, the home of the Heath Bar. I had no idea. I thought it would be a well, good time
4: it It was you know, I kind of got pressed into that our our a d had to take a leave of absence, and she asked me if I would step in and kind of hold the fort down for a little while. She was having health issues, and so i right. I stepped in and I couldn't get out then. So I ended up being there uh, two and a half years.
1: Did did that help you with anything that you're doing right now as a coach?
4: Yeah, helped me a lot. I you know I've always preached to young players you gotta you gotta get out of your comfort zone and that was a realization for me that I had never been out of mine. Um, and so it was quite an adjustment. Um, it was way over my ability to. It was way above my brain. I, I knew I had to get out of there at some point. I wasn't smart enough for the job, but it took me out of a comfort zone that I had lived in. And, and, uh, that was really good because I think that's one thing you say to players, but I, I really feel for players much more now when I see them uncomfortable, I feel like I do a better job of coming in and saying the right thing, um, as opposed to just telling a young guy to toughen up.
1: Yeah which is it's incredibly common are you are you harder on your players or yourself for what you would deem mental mistakes on the field
4: i i think the the first the first we don't have a ton of mental mistakes we really don't we do have them once in a while and i I don't like them i i never go out on the field and embarrass a player don't believe in it I, i think it's just wrong i don't think uh The people in the crowd, they they either know you coach or know you don't coach. You don't have to walk out on the field and act like you're coaching every game day. But I I think when when games end, the first person you look at is yourself. You look at all the calls you made. You go through maybe the pitch calling because I'm heavily involved in that. You go through, you know, what we try to do offensively, maybe stealing at a certain time, hitting and running at a certain time. So you go through all of that before you even start thinking about the players. Um, And and even the positioning, you know, some of that stuff we kick ourselves because maybe we, we, we tried to shift a little bit and maybe shouldn't have. And it's worked out for us a lot. But there's still those things you go back to as a coach and you look within more than on the outside. Our job is to put these guys in a position to win yes yeah that's uh, you're frustrated when you don't do that th-
1: this has been so cool talking to you and, and getting some insight that obviously we would rarely if ever get around here and i i could not be more proud of the job and you and your players have done here's to keeping that going here's to making sure the the trail of of liquor still ends up on your your front porch <laughs> <laughs> we' there too and here's uh here's the Terra Hode it, it's been just enjoyable to watch what you guys have accomplished and regardless of if you end up going to uh you know Dallas or whenever um, the best of luck to you we're all going to be watching you're making a lot of fans and certainly a lot of a lot of friends of the show around here in Central Indiana and Indianapolis with how you've described your team and what you've talked about being a coach and with this success and here's the more to come Mitch I appreciate your time as always the best of luck
4: appreciate you buddy take care Yeah, we will stay
1: in touch mitch hannes is the head coach of indiana state he is just an awesome conversation
3: life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips
1: The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline for Basketball News. Evan Sidery and Evan. Before we dive into draft conversation and trade this and trade that. So in Phoenix, was it Vogel over Doc in this case? How did all that go down?
5: Yeah, very interesting how it all shook out in Phoenix with Frank Vogel getting the Sun Tech job. I know Adrian Wojnarowski said that it was between Doc Rivers, but from what I heard out in Phoenix, it was between him and Young, the associate head coach. For that opening, which I think makes a lot of sense, Kevin Young stayed on as the assistant head coach. Could be the highest paid assistant coach in the NBA next year, over two plus million dollars per year. But they love his offensive mind, they love his creativity. So it's down to him and Frank Vogel. But I think with Frank Vogel, his defense, his championship experience, won out in the end. There, I think for Frank too to go from the Lakers to this opening in Phoenix, I mean it's a fantastic opportunity to get another championship for him.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. Does that speak to the volume in which Frank Vogel can deal with the um, elite level superstar type of players today? Is that kind of a a tip of the cap of what they need, what they expect out of him with that particular group?
5: I think so. I think it's just holding the star players accountable, like we saw in 2020 when they went on that run, to the championship in the Orlando bubble, where Anthony Davis and LeBron James are very locked in defensively, especially LeBron James. We know he can kind of take possessions off here and there. But that, that defense Frank Vogel had, they were number one defense multiple times over his stint there. As we all know, in Indiana with Roy Hibber, he helped develop him into one of the best centers in the NBA and overall one of the best defenses in the NBA while he was here in Indy. I think overall, what Phoenix needs, they have Devin Booker, they have Kevin Durant, two elite scoring players. You just need defense, you need shooting around those guys. I think bringing Vogel, at least from a philosophical standpoint, certainly makes sense there. So I love the fit, honestly, for Vogel there.
1: So, Evan of basketball news with us. All right, so I, I do. We have this thing called YouTube Live, right? And it runs, and people can get in there and 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 talk to one another, and you know we can see it. It's a really cool way, and I I kind of get in there. Uh, before this show, and, and try to warm up the audience a little bit before I go on. And just as I went in there, I had to hear uh, both uh, Jimmy um, and Will that were hosting the noon show here. Go on and on about the bargaining chip trade wise that Miles Turner continues to be. Are we not over this yet? I thought we were over this. Are we gonna dive right back into this in the next couple of weeks and then certainly as we move into free agency forthcoming NBA wise in this offseason?
5: I'm with you there, John. I think the Miles Turner trade talks are a little overblown now at this point. Internally the Pacers love Miles, what he brings. I think the Miles entering last year was How's he fit, been in the master and how's he feel with all these young core players? And it seems like he fits fantastically. Career best year offensively. We all know he's a great run protector too. Fits very well in the offense with Tyrese Halliburton as well. Great contract too. I mean you look at Miles Turner's contract in the next two years. Twenty million dollars, twenty one million dollars this year, upcoming, then nineteen million the year after that. Super cheap compared to a guy like Deion, for example, thirty-five million dollars per year the next three years. I think, I think the Pacers definitely are very happy looking back on it now that they, they the Suns that contract and allowed them to keep Miles Turner in the building here. He's certainly a better fit than what he showed with DeAndre Aiden. Aiden, that contract looks terrible now. So I think, at least now, unless we see a regression with Miles Turner this upcoming season, I don't see why he would be shopped around this offseason, unless for a really premium draft pick, let's say top five, top ten, you get one of those picks for Miles Turner. But I doubt that. I think Miles is. The, I think that's it with him and the young core. Is fantastic, too. Hey,
1: hey, Evan, hold on one second. I'm going to put you on hold. See if you can adjust his phone situation there. See if he can, if he's in a spot to where he can stand still because he's moving in and out. And I want to make sure people hear what he has to say right here. Evan Sidery, of Basketball News via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And yeah, again, to me, more so than anything else, is well, actually, it's two things. One, is you got a bad defensive team. I don't know how much worse you want it to get with his so-called bargaining chip. And secondly is, I think Evan alluded to it as well, the guy that everybody loves around here, the guy that's going to be the future of this team with the basketball in his hands, loves Miles. I don't know if you want to go breaking that up. So, yeah, tell him to stand on one foot in the corner of wherever he is to make sure that he has a clear signal to us because Evan's signal was borderline fubarish right there. Back with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. we all good here?
5: Should be, yeah. Do I, am I coming in great? You're, you
1: are. You are now. But no, as I mentioned, as you guys were fixing that just a moment ago, is it's two things to me. I mean, this Pacer defense was horrific a year ago with Miles, and I, certainly you want to keep that. And then something that you alluded to that I also believe is how much that Halliburton likes him. So to me, I, I, even if you're trying to trade up, I guess what, I don't know, how far could you get up with miles? Who knows? I guess to me, it just doesn't make a great deal of sense.
5: No, it doesn't. And especially with what they're trying to do this upcoming off season, where they're really committing to getting guys that can defend and that can shoot around Tyrese Halliburton and around this core of players. And, I don't think this team is as far off as many think around. I think maybe Pacers fans kind of realize that, too. But I think people outside the state of Indiana, I don't think realize how good this Pacers team was when Tyrese and Miles were playing together last season. They had a 45-1 pace last year when those guys were sharing the court together. And I think we've already seen and Tyrese can uplift this young core into being a top 10-like offense immediately, just based off how good of a point guard he is setting everyone up there. But defensively, if you want to make a huge step next year, which is their goal, you have to keep Miles around. You have to let him be the rim protector. I think the big thing to me is trying to find guys that fit next to Miles in the four spot there. There's multiple guys in the draft that could fit there as far as being pro defense guys, good shooting players too. I think that's going to be really what I'd be looking at here is trying to find guys that actually fit around Miles and trying to get off him. Because I think Miles Turner now, we saw last year, and we're looking ahead now, his contract and his talent, I think he's actually underpaid yet again after his big contract bump this at last season, getting $35 million from the Pacers. But now that contract, $21 million, $19 million, that is a great, great contract for a player nowadays.
1: I don't want to see them get on this treadmill of uh... – you know we have assets now and we're going to trade some assets to get assets further down the road because you'll continue to asset yourself to death and not make the progress that is necessary that's the part i don't want to see and to me that is a common pitfall that can occur if you're talking about rebooting and then all of a sudden in that year you kind of find something you believe in and maybe you are a little bit better as you mentioned than what people thought you were going to be and you kind of build off that i just don't want them to start trading assets and accumulating more assets and continue to go down that road for the next three or four years years to finally get good because to me, they're already on that path. You just kind of build it for the now and then draft somebody at seven or wherever you end up going there inside that lottery and uh, utilize those picks in different fashions okay. I just I don't want to see them hamstring themselves by continuously looking for the longer term future.
5: Yeah, I think for Pacers fans especially, I think it's going to be an exciting time because from, based off what Kevin Percher said, it's just years to get to 45 plus wins to make the playoffs to go from 35 to 45 wins and make that important jump that we've seen so many teams make uh, kind of trading miles or kind of trading off your best players there we're kind of be going completely against that idea they're they're building up internally there i think it'd be more so you see young guys that might not fit the exact rotation anymore like an isaiah jackson or a jalen smith does chris duarte fit into the puzzle now with Benedict Mather and emerging last year. I think those kind of guys, plus maybe some future picks, could maybe be the guys you look at to consolidate off of and improve this roster because the Pacers have been saying all along the last couple months here, I think they're kind of done rebuilding. I think they're really ready to push those chips in, whether it be the seven pick, whether it be a, a, other young players in this roster because they're not that far off. I think Tyrese Halliburton kind of showed this past year that he's an all-star level player, one of the best players play making point guards in the nba and you put the right pieces around him. i think you're in a really good spot
1: evan Sodery joins us. so who's lurking around seven with what you think is going to be availability that could be a piece that could give them help sooner rather than later
5: yeah i think the, it's kind of crystallizing here john where it's kind of four players that i'm looking out for at number seven it, it's guaranteed one will be there potentially too and that would be Cam Whitmore of Villanova, who came in last week for a workout, yeah, r- reportedly impressed them as well in that workout. I think he makes a lot of sense for them at the 3-4 spot. Good shooter, very athletic as well. Upside gamble with him, but he definitely has the ceiling to merit that kind of selection. Asar Thompson, the brother of Ahmed Thompson, who's going to probably be cl- picked close in that 3-4 range. But Asar Thompson, more of a wing than a point guard. six-seven-seven seven foot wingspan. Questionable shot, though. But he's a great defender. He'll he'll be in that six to seven range, and then two guys that make a lot of sense to me as far as positionally and long term for this team at the power forward spot: Jairus Walker of Houston and Taylor Hendricks of Central Florida. I think those guys make a lot of sense at number seven overall. Walker and Hendricks both averaged over two and a half steals and blocks per game last year. Hendricks is a better shooter, but Walker also can shoot the ball as well a little bit. So I think those two guys would certainly keep an eye out for at number seven with Walker and Hendricks. You could probably have both those guys start day one as your power four next to Miles Turner, create a really good defensive duo with those two guys next to Miles as well. Or maybe it's one of those upside swings with an SR Thompson or a Cam Whitmore. It kind of feels like one of those four guys, if they stay at seven, will probably be a pacer in the end. It just
1: kind of seems like to me Walker has more of a grown man type of build right now and would be more ready-made to play quicker than a lot of others that you're talking about here.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's six foot eight. I just said a little smaller for a power forward type, but he's 240 pounds, which is some of the Pacers don't have on the roster at all. Kind of reminds me, if you're looking for a comparison build-wise, he's more of a David West type of build. Where you remember David West on those peak Pacers team, six foot eight, six nine, 240 plus pounds. Jairus Walker's kind of a very suited up version of David West, where he could be an elite defender, he can hit that jump shot, he can play make as well. He's a guy that you could slot in next year under this Pacers team, let's say, give you 12 to 13 points per game, a couple steals, a couple blocks, hit the three ball a little bit at times. I think they're looking more so towards fits on this team, and it, you really can't find a much better fit than what the Pacers need at defense, especially, than a guy like Jarius Walker. I think he definitely makes a lot of sense there. It's,
1: uh, Evan Sidery, Basketball News with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.